Hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, so for today's discussion, um, I am not going to talk about the topic that I teased uh, on the Instagram uh, post uh, a couple days ago. So I'm working on, there's a couple of things I'm working on, and they are going to revolve around this continuing sportsman advocacy sort of theme. And, and we're going to touch on a couple things tonight, um, but I'm not going to dive into that giant discussion that I have been working on. I've got it almost put together, um, and I'm kind of happy with it, but yet I think I can add a couple of little things and make some things uh, a little bit more clear and dive into a couple little things a little deeper to make it that much better. Um, And quite honestly, I started thinking that maybe what I need to do is get some visuals kind of sketched out to where I can put some stuff up on the whiteboard similar to what I did for the video uh, Understanding Ideology that some of you have watched already because there's going to be a lot of overlap and what I talked about in that Understanding Ideology uh, video slash podcast discussion and what I want to cover in a few of these upcoming discussions. And I think it would be important to maybe put some of those ideas on the whiteboard so you could see how they uh, uh, intersect and maybe overlap. And then maybe things as we continue the discussions will make more sense um, in the future. So I'm going to put that discussion on hold. I've got a pile of things that we can talk about tonight. And and I've got... As always, I, I just a, a pile of notes that I want to tackle. So <clears throat> there's a handful of discussion points that I wanted to, to, to uh, jump on tonight. So let's just dive into it, all right? So first and foremost, let me just give you an update. So here it is. This is uh, Sunday night, uh, February 27th, which means if you listen to the previous podcast. Now, ooh, let me take a quick segue real quick. Uh, in that previous podcast, I told you I was going to start uploading things to Rumble. <clears throat> Two things with that. Number one, I still have not uploaded that to Rumble because what I did not realize while I was doing it. So so I, when I have a guest on, I usually do it through a Zoom conference uh, sort of deal. And in Zoom, if, you've have, if, if you have not done a Zoom meeting yet over the past couple of years, goodness gracious, good for you. Good for you. Because holy hell, a lot of us have spent way more of our life than we ever wanted to on Zoom. Now, don't get me wrong, I love it. I, lo- I love the application and I love the, <clears throat> the what it allows us to do. But at some point, Zoom meetings get a little, little tiring. But anyway, I digress. Um, I use the free version, so I don't get all the bells and whistles and the ooh-ah, whoop-dee-woo, you know, add-on features that I get, you know, that you can get if you pay for the premium service of Zoom, uh, but it works very, very well. What I didn't realize was at some point, um, my, I don't know, I've known for a while, I've got an ancient, this, this, I'm this Mac uh, laptop is, is ancient. Um, and I've noticed, uh, over the past several years that the video card and some of the other stuff in here have started to degrade. They're not performing like they normally should. Um, well, I don't know if it was, if it's that, I don't know if it's the can, I, for whatever reason, the video quality, and I've got awesome internet. I mean, like, like 
that's not an issue. Um, my connection speed and bandwidth and all that stuff, that's not an issue. Um, for some reason, the video quality of that last discussion with Josh Benton was horrible. At least on my end. I mean, it, it just, it just, it was horrible. So that, that's the reason, part of the reason, part, part of the reason why I'm doing this like I normally do with the, the bulk of the educational materials that I do, whether it's the Elk Hunting Institute, the Elk Module, uh, whether it's any of my turkey or deer videos or anything on their YouTube, whatever, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> this format, what we're doing right here is what many of you are used to. So what I figured I'd do is for the podcast, until I figure out, and I have a, a Zoom meeting coming up for one of the other podcasts here uh, in the next few days, um, I don't know how I'm going to I run it. I, I may just have to run it through a, a Zoom, and, and the video quality will be whatever the video quality is. The, the audio is fine, and the content is good. It's just the video is just not crisp, right? So I don't know. For you and me just sitting here talking, me just flapping my gums at you, I'm going to run it through the camera like I normally do everything else. <clears throat> However, when I have guests on, I'm going to have to figure out whether or not um, I need to get a separate... Given the fact that this computer is so old, obviously the camera in this computer is not like the cameras that we have today. I mean, geez, oh, Pete, you can buy... I mean. 4K cameras these days are a dime a dozen, and they're tiny. So obviously, this is not a 4K camera, <clears throat> um, just from an age. <clears throat> I'm sorry, and I apologize for my voice, and I'll get to what's probably going on with that here in a minute. But anyway, um, I apologize. It, it's probably going to be like this for uh, the foreseeable here. <clears throat> um, anyway, I'm probably going to have to get a uh, dedicated, you know, um, little just a computer camera, just a little aftermarket camera that I can plug in and, and run um, that for the Zoom meetings. So with that being said, let me know if you guys, any of any of you, the professional Zoomers out there that have, for your work, have been out there just beating the piss out of Zoom meetings, let me know what you're using. What Are, what, are you using a, a separate little, you know, camera um, that, you know, like that, that, connects via USB or, or whatever, a little USB camera that, you know, for your computer, or are you just using the computer camera? What, what are you, what are you folks that do this for a living, more of a living than I do? What, what kind of cameras are you guys using? What, what should I look at if I'm going to get one of those little aftermarket little <clears throat> computer cameras that I can plug in and I can use in lieu of the actual camera that's, that's on the, screen right here because that thing sucks it, it's horrible I, I would like to have a little bit more crisp um, zoom meeting video footage all right makes sense <coughs> so um, anyway so I have not uploaded that uh, video version of the podcast with Josh Penton Benton as of yet I'm still working on getting that built and put up and, and part of the reason why is I was getting stuff lined up on Rumble. The second part of this little segue about Rumble, because people have asked, I am I'm not opposed to putting no, I can't say that. I am considering putting some stuff still on YouTube. I am. Again, m- me wanting to put stuff up on Rumble is not because I, I, you know, I embrace some right-wing, you know, conspiracy theory, 
you know, ooh, I'm Trump, blah, blah, this. No, <clears throat> okay? These alternative social media platforms have been bastardized as far as that, you know, they're, they're a lot, let's just put it this way. A lot of people have poo-pooed them and tried to put them down and just, you know, just kind of just diminish their relevance, importance, and need. Uh, simply, and, and, and tried to paint it as it's this alt-right, uh, anti-whatever, you know, that's, no, <clears throat> sorry, that, that's not, that's not, no, that's not why I, I'm, I'm looking at putting more stuff on Rumble. Like I said in the last podcast, Rumble is growing very quickly. Its platform is getting better every day. They have a good team behind them. The people that are wanting to put this forward are wanting to put it forward because of, at least as of now, the statement is, is they want to provide social media platforms and or video, basically, well, at least for Rumble, it's a, it's an alternative to YouTube. Because if you look at what Google is doing to suppress legitimate First Amendment free speech rights, it's egregious, regardless of where you, where you fall on the political spectrum. It's egregious. <clears throat> and given the fact that we have more and more even leftist liberal talking heads starting to identify the censorship and in some cases just outright propaganda that is being channeled in platforms like YouTube, Facebook, slash Instagram, the quote-unquote metaverse, okay, especially Twitter. It, it's, it's, it's becoming a problem. And you can spend as much time as you want digging into some of these things, but the future and, and what we're what we're hearing more and more is that the federal government is wanting to develop more formalized official partnerships with these companies to control misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. Um, that is extremely concerning. When you have the, the, the government in bed with the media platforms, control coordinating what you as the average person are allowed to see and what you're allowed to say, because, you know, it might be misinformation or disinformation or malinformation. And so for your protection, the government will work with these giant media avenues to provide the narrative, the, the stories, the information that they deem to be worthy for you to consume. And or they will, maybe we'll, we need to suppress or shut down or limit the information that you're allowed to consume just for your own good and the good of the betterment of the of society as especially a society as we want to move forward in a progressive culture that's very dangerous i mean it it, it i'm sorry <clears throat> you you need to t if if you are opposed to that and you think it's a conspiracy theory and it's a bunch of of just uh whack job voodoo just bs spend some time 
going through history. Seriously, read a book. Spend some time looking through what... There he is. Read a book. Seriously, I'm sorry. Get better educated on history and what's going on. Because we can see it every day. It is absolutely affecting public opinion and the direction of of the society. And quite honestly, an argument could very well be made not in a good way. Again, we, you know, the Joe Rogan issue on Spotify was a great example of, you know, what I'm talking about in some of this because, and like he said and others have said, those things were that were deemed by the government and that were enforced and or restricted by social media platforms that were deemed as mis or dis or mal information a year ago, two years ago regarding, say, COVID and, and other things are now mainstream talking points and have been proven to be true. So there was no misinformation. There was no disinformation. There was no malinformation two years ago. There were people that wanted to expose the truth, and that truth was inconvenient for those people that wanted a different narrative being put forth. So, again, me wanting to put more stuff on Rumble is simply to do one of two, a couple of things. One, standing up for principle. I believe in this country. I believe in the founding of what the the, the foundational principles of what this country was was founded on and what it's supposed to be. And so, I have I I have a problem with limitations of free speech, Second Amendment, any of our any of our any of the 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 articulations in the Bill of Rights. Okay. Those are that doesn't matter. I'm not gonna I don't need to elaborate on them. I value them highly. And so if there are platforms, even though they are very convenient, they are very popular, if those platforms are going to engage in activities that suppress free speech and that erode the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, anything. I'm sorry. No, I'm not, I, 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 I am going to limit my time in utilizing and or supporting those platforms. Now, I still do I still watch YouTube videos? Yes, I do. Do I still use Instagram? Yes, I do. So I'm not talking about I'm just going to quit cold turkey like I did you know, this past month where alcohol and caffeine and, and everything else. But that doesn't mean that if I as a content creator and someone who wants to share ideas and I want to talk about some controversial things, that doesn't mean I have to put my stuff on there and build their platform by putting my content on there, given the fact that they are not based on my lifestyle and my preferences and my choices uh, of, of what I want to say and the value sets that I hold for hunting and maybe even political uh, ideology and, and just my value sets. I don't, I don't have to, to, I'm not going to say sell my soul on it, but I don't have to support that platform when I have an alternative. And right now, it seems like Rumble is doing a good job of stepping up and developing an alternative platform that will hopefully ensure freedom of speech, providing mechanisms for those people 
that have been censored or are likely to be censored on these other plat- flat platforms to have another place to go and, and speak their mind. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to watch them. You don't have to believe with believe in them, agree with them or anything, but they at least have a platform, number one. Number two, it will give content creators an opportunity to have consistency and predictability in their creative process, in the content that they create, especially as, as it goes monetized over what you see with Google and other platforms. All right. So I want to support that alternative. All right. There you go. That, that, that's that's why I'm going there. It's not some alt-right conspiracy thing, blah, blah, blah. blah. No, it's, it's on principle. It's the damn principle of the thing. And at some point, we've got to start standing on honest-to-goodness principles that we can defend. And I don't care what side of the, the political spectrum you're on. I really don't. And, and quite honestly, I don't even care what side of the value, the value set spectrum you're on. If you can't value freedom of speech, goodness gracious, you... No, sorry, I, I've got I've got no use for you. None. We can have a disagreement about the Second Amendment. I don't care. You don't have to have that. But if you can't even stand the thought of people being able to express their ideas and actually put them forward without being suppressed, no, you've got a weak argument. You're a, you. No, sorry, no, not happening. So anyway, I'm not going to touch on it. I I don't think I'm going to touch on it anymore. All right. Because I have. I've had people that, oh, that's a mistake. There's no one over on Rumble and you're going to lose your audience and blah, blah, blah. Okay, again, I'm going to tell you, of course not. Uh, there's not as many people on Rumble. No, there's not. But YouTube did not have the YouTube viewership that YouTube has now because YouTube was not YouTube when YouTube first started becoming YouTube. It started out. Everybody had to get, it had to get some momentum. And then it grew into this gargantuan monstrosity thing and it just exponentially grew. I have no doubt that if, two things, if the, the people behind Rumble continue to do a good job and continue to develop their product to increase user friendliness, user interface, intuitiveness through it, okay, if they continue to build a good product, I think we will have more people wanting to go over there and use the platform, number one. Number two, the more content creators that actually go over there and put good, high-quality content on that platform, they're going to draw more people to the platform, which then is going to increase usership, then it's going to just have more people that want to go over there and build on that. It's going to follow an exponential growth model just the way YouTube did. All right. So just just be like, no, I'm not going to go over there because no one uses it. Well, that's stupid. The the it's but it is going to be it be incumbent upon content creators and, and I'm speaking to anybody that has a hunting show, uh, a hunting YouTube channel, anything. Start moving your stuff over to Rumble or locals or wherever you want to go. If if you want like for instance any of these any of the the the, the special ops fight the, you know whether you're talking navy seals whether you're talking about special forces whether you're talking about ex law enforcement all of the second amendment folks out there that have these great YouTube channels what the heck are you where where is your backup? Start developing a backup somewhere else. You know, yes, you can use you know locals or something like that where it's a it's a pay per where, you, where there's a subscription. 
I'm all for subscription-based models. Obviously, I have one with row hunting resources, the Elk Hunting Institute and the other, you know, the Elk Module, Turkey Module, and the Deer Module. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit because there's going to be some changes with that. But some of you content creators out there, hunting shows, Second Amendment type supporters, prepping type, and I'm not talking about conspiracy, you know, preppers have gotten a bad rap until lately when people are like, oh crap, things are kind of going to hell in a handbasket. It might be nice to know how to take care, can some food. Maybe it's nice to know how to hunt and and maybe put up my own meat and, and take care of, hmm, some of those prepper stuff that was all fringe in the past that might've warranted, you know, we need to suppress some of this crazy conspiracy stuff. Ah, actually sounds like it might be uh, kind of relevant these days, right? So I would implore a lot of the fellow content creators out there, whether you're a YouTuber, whether whether you're a podcaster or whatever, start putting, put it in two places. Go ahead and put it on YouTube like you want to, but build your backup over your, your body, your, your, your library of content over on, you know, Rumble or wherever you want it as a backup, because if someday it does get bad enough where censorship just goes right, right off the deep end, like it seems like it's going, you very well might want to have that backup because at any moment, you look at the user agreement, at any moment, YouTube could just say, you know what, we don't support your content anymore. Pooh, gone. You're out. You you don't have any access to your account at all. You can't move it. They could just make you go away. Bye-bye, and all of your work is gone. Or you're going to have to, you've got it start, you know, stored in a hard drive, uh, uh, you know, or something in your safe or in your studio or wherever to where now you can go over and you can start uploading stuff. But why wouldn't it make sense to start a parallel? Now that, now that there is an alternative, why would you not uh, build a, a parallel kind of universe, right? This is where my conundrum comes in. And the argument that some of you uh, that have supported me over the years has have, have chimed in. Go ahead and put it on Rumble, Chris, but you put it on YouTube as well. I might do that. Um, I might do that. Use the enemy, and I say enemy, it, it doesn't mean that they have to be. It doesn't mean that they will be long-term. Right now, I think, in my opinion, my value set is that, that these Google, Metaverse, I think they're going in a wrong direction. I hope someday they see that they're going in a wrong direction. I hope they have a come to Jesus moment to where they're like, what the freaking hell are we doing? And they take a hard turn away from the left. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. They don't need to turn right, quote unquote, from the political stand. Just turn back to the center. Turn back to objectivity and quite, quite honestly, neutrality of saying, we are a platform we're going to allow people to use our platform and we give a shit of what people are doing on that platform. We're just providing the, the service. Someday they might do that. So I, I don't want to, th- and some of you have brought this up and it's a, it's a good discussion. It, it's, it's a, if nothing else, a thought experiment, but it's, it's a good comment of, okay, they're going, they, they might be going in a very authoritarian propaganda direction now. They might not in the future. We can have a discussion about that and we can, and I will probably have a debate about that. 
I'm, I'm not hopeful in that, um, just from an economic incentive standpoint. However, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So the, 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 the point is taken in the fact that, yes, in the future, maybe, maybe Google turns back to neutral. Maybe Meta says, okay, this we, we tried this experiment and things are going horribly wrong. So we're going to get away from the censorship. We're going to get away from channeling certain ideologies and we're just going to take a neutral approach. If that's the case, well, then those platforms are absolutely going to have a clear advantage over something like, say, a Rumble or Locals or whatever, to where if, if they start to provide the good basis of uh, the, the the fundamental bedrock of what they used to, they'll already have all those years of, of uh, development and content um, to where that's probably where most people are going to go. But in case they don't, okay, so I, I, I may just go ahead and, and start uploading stuff to YouTube as well. I'm going to see if I can't separate some of my accounts uh, in both places. So on Rumble, uh, and I haven't, ha- I don't have it perfected right now. So there's going to be a row hunting resources channel. All right. And so with rumble on the name at, at, and again, I'm, I'm a biologist, man. I'm a habitat and, and hunting programs manager, wildlife manager. That's, that's where my wheelhouse is. I have done these type of videos and the educational videos, and I've gotten good at this type of format, but I am not a social media, you know, I don't make my money making TikTok videos and and reels and I I'm looking at reels and I I I still have to learn how to do reels because the popularity of reels on Instagram these days is huge and I I know that I'm missing the boat on doing making reels okay but I I have no freaking clue and so with Rumble same thing. I'm, I'm just tiptoeing into it and I'm trying to figure it out as I go. So I have, so on rumble, it seems like your, your name is like one. So my, my rumbles are, or my rumble accounts are row hunting resources, all one word. Elk hunting Institute, all one word. Row hunting resources podcast. And then Western Plains whitetails. All right. Those are the accounts that I'm developing now. And so for a lot of my content that that would be put over onto YouTube, they're going to be housed over on Rumble. And I'm going to start putting some of those in those accounts on the row hunting resources type of stuff. It may be a catch all to where if you want to know all the things that I'm doing, you just go to the row hunting resources one and you see everything. If you're only interested in elk or elk discussions, that you find in the Elk Hunting Institute. If you're just interested in the whitetails and the turkeys and, and the, the wildlife stuff that I'm doing in the Western Plains, Western Plains whitetails. It was going to be, I wanted to do Western Plains whitetails and wildlife, but that that that's what I call that whole category of, of discussion that I've got going on, but that's a massive name. Um, so, I just said Western Plains whitetails, and and we can expand from there. There's anybody that's a whitetail enthusiast knows that you can watch whether it's Drury, whether it's Primos, whether it's you know uh, Midwest whitetails, whether it's who know doesn't matter. Grant Woods, you know, growing deer D- TV. Well, they they tackle turkey stuff and predator stuff and, and all sorts of stuff. makes sense, right? So Western Plains whitetails. 
All right. And then the podcast, again, Row Hunting Resources podcast. So if it's a podcast discussion, I'll load those podcasts in there. That way, if you do want, again, the, the audio version will always be an audio version. But if you wish to watch this and, and watch me interact with either a guest or you just want to sit there and watch me flap my gums at you, okay, now there will be a video version for it. Now, here's the other thing that I do like about Rumble right now. Now, granted, I'm sure this will change. And it will become more prominent as you viewership increases. However, nowadays you get on YouTube. And again, I'm not criticizing anybody that makes their money off of YouTube because I monetize my stuff if I can, depending on the video that it is. I will monetize it if I can. All right. I don't, I make a, like this much off of YouTube, like nothing, a handful of dollars. Okay. I'm not making a lot of money off of YouTube. Like some other people are making gobs of money off of YouTube. All right. So monetizing your videos means you end up having ads in your videos. And so you can, you know, for a fact, you start watching YouTube videos, especially of podcasts or long form discussions, excuse me, you know that it just gets constantly interrupted with ads. Some of the ads are just a five second and and you can't do anything about it. Um, You know what? A five second ad, I can just power through that. Not a big deal. Or sometimes maybe it's a 30 second ad and okay, or 20 second ad or whatever. Okay. And it's done and it moves on. And then the video kicks back off again. But you know darn well, there are some ads that pop up that if you don't click skip ad, it's like a 30 minute infomercial. You know what? I screw you. Anybody that's putting those type of ads on YouTube needs to get punched in the freaking jaw. Okay. I understand that you want to make money, but don't, don't, don't just send me off to sit there and watch a 30 minute diatribe about your pro. I did, I'm not there for you. Give me a little ad, move the freaking hell out. Okay. I'll tolerate a five to a t- you know, maybe a five second to 10 second ad, maybe. And when I say tolerate, it's because of this. Now, while I'm doing, again, if, I, if I'm working out and I'm trying to get better and doing my religious, you know, schedule of working out, if I jump on the bike and I want to power through an hour long workout or, or more, quite honestly, I've, I've done that and listened to music in the past. But what I'm finding now is I just, music is not provide, providing the motivation that it used to provide me. Now, what I'd want to do is just get on and put a video on. I'll watch a podcast. I'll watch an educational video, something that I'm learning that that is engaging, okay, that I want to pay attention to. So that way I don't, that helps me lose track of time to where I can just power through an hour long, you know, workout and not just think I'm just, you know, sitting there looking at my watch every five minutes going, (laughs) shoot me now. Okay. So I like watching videos while I'm working out. And in the evening, you know, I've talked about my schedule before where my wife gets up stupidly early in the morning, her job with federal small business administration, she's working 10, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes and six, seven days a week sometimes to where we have dinner and maybe we'll watch an episode or, you know, or two on TV. Um, and then she's, she's headed to bed. I'm a night owl. Here it is. I, what is it? 10 o'clock at night. I'm recording this podcast. Why? Because this is when I work well. So our schedules are all over the place. Well, when she goes to bed, if I'm not working on something of mine and I want to just kind of relax, maybe I'll kick on YouTube. Maybe I'll kick on Rumble or whatever. But if I kick on YouTube and watch a YouTube, 
while I'm sitting and relaxing, I can have the controller in my hand. As soon as an ad pops up, I'm just skip ad, bam, now, done, moving on, right? Most of you are probably the same way. But if I'm on the freaking bike or if I'm doing, you know, whatever, you know, kettlebells or burpees or Turkish get-ups or whatever, and that it's not as bad when you're doing that type of stuff because, you know, I can stop and click it. But if I'm watching on the computer in my office where the, the fitness stuff is and I'm on the bike and I'm in the middle of just freaking going and an ad pops up again, if it's a five or 10 second ad, no big deal. But if you freaking roll me into one of these freaking 10, 10, 20, 30 minute ad, you know, infomercials, I've got to stop, get off the bike, click, skip, go and move, get up, get back on, get back. No rumble. That ain't happening right now, baby. I can just click on a rumble and just go a, a rumble video and just go. There might be an ad at the beginning or you know, whatever, but no, I just keep click go and I don't have to worry about it. So right now, from that standpoint of the viewership, it's nice. All right. So anyway, um, that was a longer dive tribe on, on, you know, why I'm, I'm looking at that direction. But anyway, so you're going to find stuff there. I'm going to try to perfect that, those pages, those channels. Um, again, row hunting resources, elk hunting institute western plains whitetails and the row hunting resources podcast are the different accounts that i've set up so far and i'm going to start putting content into there now today and i i have not checked it yet um there is an option and i did this for row hunting resources there's an option where i can sync rumble with my youtube videos i kick i clicked that option today and so I'm going to give it a little bit and then I'm going to go start exploring that. So I don't know what I, I don't know what I have in that. I don't know what that means. I, I, I haven't even gotten there that far. Okay. So I'm going to hear a little bit later, click on my row hunting resources account in rumble and just see what videos are there, how that all meshes. Maybe all my, my entire library is already in rumble right now, or maybe it's just a, a, a link to where if you have to search a video at, I, I don't know. I'm learning with you guys, man. I, and maybe some of you are masters at this. And if you are, seriously, message me. I, I'm dead serious. Guy, gal, per, I don't care. G- get a hold of me. If you want to have a conversation and, 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 and maybe you're an expert at Rumble right now, or maybe you're an expert in social media, you know, how we get, you know, maybe doing reels and, and this type of things, get a hold of me. Because that might actually be a very interesting discussion and help people learn how to set up these accounts, explore these platforms, maximize their effectiveness on these platforms. Because again, a lot of the theme that I'm going to start diving into on some of these discussions is going to be sportsman advocacy and how we become a hell of a lot smarter in what we do. More effective... How do I want to say it? We're just better. Okay. Better at what we do, how we do it, how we message it, how we relay that information. Okay. If, if you are an expert in this stuff, type of stuff, and you want to come on and you want to have a podcast discussion and we want to dive into some of this, get a hold of me. Let's do it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people would benefit from it. I think it'd be a hell of a lot of fun. All right. So. All right, I'm going to move off of that, all right? Um, so anyway, look look over there. You, you might find some stuff in my row uh, in the Row Hunting Resources YouTube 
side, you probably will, but do me a favor and start looking for video content on the Rumble accounts. It'll just help me and build my platform there, and it will also help build an alternative platform, which I think in the long term, I really do believe, it will help. Competition is a good thing. In a free market capitalist economy, in a a capitalist system like we have in the United States, which I value, content from, from a user consumer standpoint, competition is a good thing. Now, competition, if you're a business owner and all of a sudden someone else creates a business and they're direct competitors to you, it may seem like it sucks, but it gives you an opportunity to possibly do better and make yourself better and, and, and shine where other people are lagging. It, it can help make you better. Okay, Competition is a good thing. So we need to help build that competition. Let's help build some of these platforms that are trying to compete with these giant conglomerates right now, these massive companies that uh, in many ways are not working are not working for the best interest of those of us that believe in gun ownership, Second Amendment rights, First Amendment free speech, hunting, consumptive use value sets, etc. Right? All right. Um, <clears throat> so, with that being said, let me tell you what's probably going on with my voice. Um, <clears throat> so here I am. It's February 27th, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Which means I've got one more day left. Oh, you can see I've got my orange tangerine mio water water i've had i've done some other mixes you know electrolyte mixes and get you know sugar free. i'm trying to really stick any drink i'm consuming is sugar free because i drink so much liquid um but like the last podcast i said uh i talked about uh and thank you oh my gosh the feedback was awesome that's all i'm gonna say Man, I love, I I absolutely love the community that we have around row hunting resources. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that because it's freaking awesome. It's freaking awesome. Um, Yeah. Got a lot of good feedback from that last uh, discussion. Uh, and I, and I'm laughing because I was, I, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's a, it's an, un, you, you start talking about high functioning alcoholics and addiction. Um, that's not usually a comfortable conversation that most people want to have. And so I'm, I didn't know. I figured I was like, you know what? I thought it was an interesting, uh, discussion. And given the fact that I'd never done anything like that, I was like, well, let's have this, let's see where it goes. Got a lot of good feedback and I appreciate it. Uh, some of you again are, are, the feedback ranged, you can imagine, from across the gamut. So some of you have already done this and shared with me your, quite honestly, success stories. I haven't heard of a single person that said, I gave up alcohol for X amount of time. I, I did the 30-day you know, sober October, or I did the sober January or December or whatever, or, or I, I gave up whatever for whenever you did it. I gave up alcohol for X amount of time, or I gave up caffeine. No, (laughs) let's be honest. I didn't get a single person that came to me and said that they gave up caffeine. Not a one of you. (laughs) What I did get was a lot of people are going, you gave, okay, alcohol, understand. Yeah, sure. Go ahead and give up alcohol, but caffeine, 
Are you crazy? You gave up caffeine? How the hell are you going <laughs> to... So, anyway, some of you, a lot of you, did the whole, we gave up alcohol for X amount of time. And every single person has come back and said, man, it made a difference. It, it made a positive difference. Whether it was like actually functionally health difference or whether it was just a mental difference, a, 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 a benefit of, okay, I, I have control and, and I can exercise control and, and this is what I want to do. A lot of you have continued down the road of just choosing to, to, to no longer consume alcohol, which that's where I'm at right now. Again, like I said in the podcast, uh, it it shocked the hell out of me. Given the volume of wine I was consuming during the day, or it's not the day, evenings, um, I thought for sure I was going to have a problem with alcohol withdrawals and with, you know, just me just completely jones it, just like, I got to have a drink. No, not at all. The issue was caffeine. That that one, man, that one about, I'm not going to lie to you, just splitting headache for about a solid 10 days. Splitting headache. And I, and I know it was related to the caffeine. Um, because that's the one that I, I, I just, man, I, I could tell that there was an issue. Number one. Now, now here, an interesting aside, um, and, and again, like I said, I, I had, I had conversation or feedback from people that have given it up, uh, and stayed off of it. I've had con converse or not conversations, but, uh, comments from people that said, get, you know, did the, did the month and it was great. And, you know, and, and you'll plan on doing that one, you know, every, you know, so often. Um, and then other people that have said, you know what, Chris, same, same boat we're, we're, I'm looking at my life or my wife and I, or my whatever partner, whatever you're looking at our lives, we probably ought to do that. And, and so we're going to give it a try. Awesome. I, I absolutely recommend it. Just like what Josh said, it, it's good. At least it's just test yourself. Do you have the control to, to pull that out of your life, uh, or not. Right. Um, but yeah, for cat, for me, caffeine was, I, I think that was the, that's, that's the big one. I mean, that one was the one that shocked me. Now here's the other flip side about that, that, that really shocked me. You know, again, we joked about the fact I love monsters. All right. Not the ones that have sugar, the sugar-free version of monster energy drinks. All right. And I really love the Monster Rehab. So they're non-carbonated, sugar-free. Now, I'm about to cry because I don't know if Monster's even making them anymore because I'm not finding them anywhere, right? Now, they do make the other, you know, the the zeros or whatever, the, the carbonated versions that don't have any sugar to them. Uh, obviously, yes, there's an artificial sweetener. I'm not going to have a discussion on that. But regardless, I liked the, the sugar-free versions, right? I always thought everybody was giving me crap about how much caffeine. Oh my gosh, if you're eating, you're drinking, eating, drinking one, two, three of those, you know, in a day. Oh my gosh, the amount of blah, blah, you're just crazy. That's, that's dangerous levels. But, oh, I think some of you coffee drinkers ought to really take a look at the caffeine content of the coffees you're drinking especially some like Starbucks and others where the content of caffeine per ounce of coffee is exceptionally high within the range of caffeine for coffees across the board. 
not coffee is not just coffee. Not all coffees are created equal. I don't drink coffee. I can't. I love the smell of coffee. I can't stand the taste of coffee. Okay, so I don't drink coffee. Never have. Don't like. I've tried it numerous times. Don't like it. Uh, not the taste. But my wife drinks a ton of coffee, right? And she used to always give me a ration, just you know, a ration of crap for the monsters I was drinking. Well, I started looking how much you know coffee she drinks. Hell, she's drinking as much caffeine on a daily basis and sometimes more than I was. So I started looking. I'm like, well, how much caffeine is in coffee? And I started going down the rabbit hole of, of looking at that. Holy hell, folks, folks. Some of you, you want to give me a ration of crap about drinking a monster or two or three? Ooh, you may want to start running a calculator on how much caffeine you're consuming. You can Google that shit. I mean, let's go to DuckDuckGo. That's the other thing too. That's going to come up here a little bit later if I remember the difference of just the search engines. What you get, you, you go into Google and you ask a question and you look at the results and then you go to something like DuckDuckGo where it's a lot more neutral. It just doesn't give a crap of what you're doing and, and watch and just see what comes up there and then put them side to side and you're like, what the frickin' hell's going... Yeah. No. So go to something like DuckDuckGo and then and then and type in, you know, caffeine content coffee and then start looking at the brands of coffee like Starbucks and others and looking at what the caffeine content is per cup of coffee and then start going down the line, the line of exactly how many cups, quote unquote cups, how many ounces of coffees uh, coffee are you drinking? If you're going to Starbucks and getting the, you know, the 20 ouncer, the venti, if you're getting the, the 20 ouncer, and if you're drinking more than one of those a day, come talk to me about how much caffeine you're consuming with relation to a monster or two. Some of you that are drinking coffee like a fish, like you're just like you're just sucking it down. I can't even imagine what your caffeine intake is daily. I'm actually and okay, again, remember, I was drinking, let's just be honest. There were days I had one, but most of the time I was having two. Some days, if I was doing, I would have three, you know, monster energy drinks between first thing in the morning until early afternoon. I really did refrain from drinking any caffeine after 3 p.m., all right? But given the quantity of caffeine that was in my system on a, a habitual chronic basis, I didn't think it freaking mattered. Now, granted, with that being said, I had no problem going to sleep at night. Not, I won't say that. I can't say that because it was a confounded variable because I was drinking wine at night, which then makes you sleepy. So it was just this vicious cycle. So I'm not going to talk about whether I wanted to sleep or not. But regardless, I was having two or three monsters, two, often. Oftentimes it was two. I had splitting headache for 10 days. Splitting headache. Now, granted, I quit cold turkey, okay? not saying that you have to do that. Maybe you just wean yourself off if you have the, 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 the willpower and the discipline to do so. But for me, it was caffeine. And my level of consumption of caffeine gave me a splitting headache for 10 days. I can't even imagine what some of you would go through if you tried to just cold turkey your, your coffee consumption in the day, in the, in, you know, for a month. <laughs> some of you just be laid out and you just, you just, you just call in, just call in sick and be like, not happening. You're just, poof. you're, you're going to be, you're, oh my gosh, you're, it's going to be brutal. It'll be brutal. Pity on your soul. Um, 
but regardless, I got a lot of good feedback on it. So thank you, everybody. Uh, I appreciate it. And again, it, and, and all of the comments were very constructive and, uh, and really, I mean, they were constructive. They were thoughtful. I mean, it, like, yeah, man, I, I, I hear the horror stories. That's the thing. It, so, okay. I know my account, the people that follow me is not, I don't have tens of thousands of followers. I don't even think I have 10,000 followers right now. We can change that. Hit a like. You know, go to social media, follow me, okay? Give me a, okay, give me a follow. Give me a subscribe. Because um, let's build this. Because obviously, the bigger the platform, you actually have different tools that you can, that have you, that you have available to you. So anyway, I digress. Um, I know I don't have the size of the followership that, that other people do. But I listen to some of these people about, you know, the type of people that are engaging their platforms. The hate mail, just the the type of stuff that just people, the vitriol that gets, and I'm like, like, I get none of that. Like, legitimately, I get none of that. Even though I talk about some controversial things, and maybe even though I rhetorically punch some people in the nose about their bullshit and, and knock your shit off, I don't get the vitriol. I don't. And that's the thing that I think is so incredible about the row hunting resources community and and body of followers those people that 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 are i don't know find their way here we're all it seems like we're very much of the, of a like mind we we are we're inquisitive we want to learn we we want to you know think about things and expand how we think it's a freaking awesome family man and i i cannot tell you how appreciative I am. Uh, It's just awesome. It's just freaking awesome. Because again, I listen to some of my friends and I I listen to just what happens in other places and I'm like, holy hell. We don't do that. It just just doesn't happen over here. Hopefully it stays that way because man, it's awesome. So again, kudos to every one of you. And and again, if you have friends that are of of this type of, of thinking... And and talk to and they're not following. Please have them go check us out. Give give me a like and give me a subscription and all those click the bells and whistles and bell the checkbox. Do that because let's build this thing even better than it is now. It's, anyway, um. So part of and the reason why I brought that up. Um. So it's I've got one more technical day on my commitment to not have any alcohol, any caffeine for uh, the month of February. Now, I may, I may, I don't know, I don't know. I have not decided. I'm leaning where I might. Okay, I'm debating. I, I, there's, there's enough of a physical change to where I do feel better. Okay. I feel like I'm getting much better sleep at night. Um, I'm feeling like I really don't quote unquote need caffeine in the morning anymore. Um, so there's a part of me that says, man, don't freaking rock the boat. Let's just, just keep it going. You're feeling good. You're sleeping better. Uh, your workouts, you know, I I'm, I'm two months into, well, yeah, two months into kind of making that change to where I'm, I'm actually kind of feeling better in, in some regards. Um, 
Maybe just keep the freaking whole train running and just stay off of alcohol. Stay, just give up alcohol. Just give up caffeine and just keep running with it. That's fine. And, and there's some benefit to that. This is getting freaking boring, people. Uh, it's getting boring. Just, I mean, there's obviously, there's plenty of different drinks I can drink. There's the fluid I can drink. But man, I do like... You know, like today, I was out work, and I'm going to talk about what, what I'm doing now. I was out today. I'm like, man, a, a, just a cold beer would have just tasted really good. Or in the morning, you know, again, I, I, I like the taste of those Monster Energy energy drinks. Okay, to where, okay, maybe I don't have it first thing in the morning. Maybe I I do I maintain my normal schedule everything else that I'm doing but maybe on occasion if if the 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 mood strikes me you know in you know late morning or something like that maybe I have one you know just to just just to for difference or or at the very least maybe now iced tea iced tea obviously tea obviously has caffeine maybe I I start going back to because I love iced tea you know so. I can throw in some iced tea in the mix, you know? So maybe I go back to adding in a little bit of those things. Or, and again, we Josh and I talked about this, about, or, or do I test myself? And do, or, and, and do I just say, okay, I'm gonna, I, I, I don't have a problem. I'll, I'll go ahead and consume alcohol again. I'll go ahead and consume caffeine again, but I'll just keep it in check. I'll keep it in a much lower level than what I did before and, and see do I have the ability to say only one monster a day? Maybe one a day. And maybe one beer in the, you know, if, if it's, you know, for lunch or after lunch or whatever, I'm working, okay, I will have a beer. And then for evening, I'll have a glass of wine with dinner done and that's it. To be honest, I think that is the next challenge for me. Because I didn't think I was going to be able to pull this off. I really didn't. This has probably been the hardest thing, you know, for me to make a decision and change my life and say, okay, you're going to try something. I think I really think this has been this and, and trying to work out. I hate working out. A little bit of passion. These two things have been those three things. Alcohol, caffeine, and uh, working out are were difficult. I did better than I thought I was going to. So now the question is, is, okay, do I have that level of control to where I can take it or leave it while I am taking it? You, you know, right now it's all just no, none. Can I go in and say, okay, I'll just have one and stick with that. That may be where I roll for March and just to kind of see how that plays out. I don't know. Well, We'll, 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 we'll see what that ends up being. Um, anyway, again, part of the reason why I wanted to bring this up was because of the working out, which then leads me to, and I feel better now that I'm not coughing, which is was surprisingly, but, um, man, getting my lung function back, um, trying to get my lung function back is proving to be way more difficult than I, I anticipated it to be. Is getting there. I can, <clears throat> I have, I can, I can expand my lungs to what I feel is fully um, now, and I, it feels. It, it, I mean, it's weird if you if you haven't if you're not dealing with this 
um, and you and you have full lung function, you probably have no concept of what I'm talking about. But in the past, it really felt like, and right now, my nose is stuffed up. It was dusty and all these other reasons. So if I breathe in through my mouth, I can actually feel my entire lungs fill up. I can actually feel expansion up here rather than just down here. In the past, there was such a, a tightness and a, a lump and a just a, just restriction here to where it was almost it felt like all I was doing was like the bottom half of my lungs and I really couldn't expand this middle upper portion of my chest. Well, now I've been really focusing these past two months on really just cardio, you know, lung expansion. Um, it feels like I can take a good full breath down. I can feel it expand up here. It's still tight. No, there's no two ways about it, which that's the other good thing about this, this test this past month. So now I know that what I'm feeling here is not related to caffeine. Okay. So it's still related to whatever the hell happened, uh, with, with some of this COVID crap, the long COVID stuff that I ended up having to deal with. And it's still kind of, um, lingering, which then also translates into now that I'm, I'm forcing my lungs to do more, um, I still have that nagging cough that just will never go away. Uh, but now that I'm working my lungs more, it, it really wants to make me cough and, uh, even more than, than what it did before. And that makes sense. Cause I'm, I'm finally using more of my lungs than, than I have been probably in the past two years. So, um, anyway, if I start coughing, that's, that's usually what the deal is. Um, so anyway, um, there you go. There's an hour of catching up on whatever the hell you know those two topics were so geez oh pete am i even gonna get to oh man am i even gonna get to the the bottom two things i want that really fired me up today maybe maybe i just blaze through this this other because there's a couple of things that yeah let me just blaze through this and see it may be a long one i haven't heard any of you complain about longer discussions in the past so all right um so one of the things that's coming up uh for anybody that lives in colorado especially northern colorado i very well may be in northern colorado these uh next week uh yeah 10 days to two weeks uh, starting uh, late next week, I'm going to be running another project for our other company. I'm going to be up in the Loveland area. So if anybody's up there and wants to get together, message me. Maybe we can get together in the evening uh, for dinner or just meet at, you know, at an archery shop or somewhere and just catch up and just just shoot the breeze or whatever. So anyway, I'm going to be in Colorado. With that being said, uh, it's going to be in a hotel. I'm going to bring some of my stuff with me so that I have the ability to upload videos and, and continue to do uh, podcasts. But it very well may be where I engage some of you or, or all of you in a mechanism that was very similar to last summer where I just did some video stuff with a phone in the truck. Um, but I'm going to still commit to getting the podcast out. Um, it just might be while I'm working a project. So the issue that, that I'm going to have, given the fact that that's going to take about a two-week ch- two chunk out of my early March, is I've got to scramble these next couple of days to get a bunch of stuff done. Now, these past couple of days, I did get a lot of things done that I wanted to. So we ended up having that's 
most of you know, mid, especially the, the middle part of the country, we had that brutal cold snap this past week. Um, so I really didn't do a lot outside. Uh, I was working on other things. This, the, earlier uh, this past week was the Southeast Deer uh, Study Group meeting. Uh, basically, all the from Texas all the way across the Gulf states, uh, including Arkansas and some of the eastern Midwest states, and then up to um, some of the, the, well, not New England and not the Northeast, but basically the, the Southeast of the United States and some interior East side of the Midwest. Um, those state wildlife agencies and deer researchers, deer managers, um, etc., there was a, a virtual conference. Every year they have the Southeast Deer Study Group conference and then basically everybody get all professional wildlife biologists and managers and researchers get together and you know there's presentations there's research papers there's discussions etc cetera, etc cetera. well those were that was the you know monday it started monday in the afternoon meet and greet and then tuesday and wednesday were all day sessions just diving into all sorts of new research and different stuff going on that's what i was doing early this past week so i i didn't do much after that, it was taking care of some other odds and ends around the house, but then taking a lot of what I heard, and uh, we it was a good one this year because there was a mechanism where people were able to share research papers and research, research studies, and there was a lot of cool ones, and there was a lot of cool presenters where I'd message them, they sent me uh, some of their research, and I just started diving into what they had been doing, what other people had been doing, and just kind of picking apart a bunch of different things that are pertaining to some of the things I want to talk to you about um, that are going to be in that Western Plains whitetails uh, type realm of discussion. Um, so anyway, I spent a, a bulk of last week in the office just picking apart a, a lot of stuff. And then also going through, everybody's been sending, not everybody, a lot of you have been sending me, you know, current event type of stuff, you know, similar to the sports, you know, a lot of the sportsman advocacy stuff, wanting to get my take. Two of those things are going to pop up here that I, I have written down that I wanted to talk about towards the end, and I hope I can get to them now. But anyway, that's what was going on next or last this previous week while it was cold, which was perfect. But that just put me behind from doing a lot of the field stuff I need to do before turkey season starts up. So normally, um, and this is one thing that I would say for anybody that's a whitetail hunter that you know if you're if you're out there and you've got you know you got done with deer season this past year if you have not taken care of your tree stands yet um and i've, I've talked about this before but i'll reiterate it again um there are some people that just leave their tree stands up year round um i advocate against that if it's a if it's an easily you know if it's a lock-on type of stand it's easily removed my recommendation recommendation is you remove it um because you ultraviolet light through the off season is going to be shining on that nylon most of the time it's nylon strap and over time it will that uv will weaken that strap to where at some point in the future you very well may find that you hook your tree stand up and you go to climb into it and the uv damage can cause a weakness in that strap and that strap can fail now hopefully you've got a a um, tree stand harness on but um yeah, if it's easily removed, just remove it. Um, same thing with your tree steps. Now, for me, in many of these uh, areas where it may not be easy to remove the entire stand or remove the entire set of you know tree sticks or whatever, 
at the very least, go through and loosen the straps. You can leave the stand in place. You can leave the, the climbing or the ladder, the sticks up against the tree. Just do yourself a favor and loosen those straps to where they're just hang, dangling loose around the tree. So it still holds the sticks up in place or loosely holds the sticks up in place or it loosely holds the tree stand in place. But the amount of growth that a tree will do on an annual basis, again, it all depends on how much moisture that you're in in your area, but the amount of growth that a tree will do is is crazy to where you often find that if you just leave your tree stand affixed and attached tight, two things are going to happen. One, your strap is going to get extremely stressed. I mean, like physically, the, the amount of force that gets put on that strap and the buckles and all the, the attachments of that tree stand are, are incredible. Again, over time, that amount of stress, again, if you look at the weight, if, if you look at the specifications on your tree stands, you're going to see that it says, you know, the tree stand says, well, it's got a weight limit of, you know, a lot of times it's 300 pounds, all right? Or if it's a double ladder stand or whatever, something, you know, it, it can hold up to 600 pounds or whatever. If it's a lock-on style stand, part of the weight rating, yes, is the cables and the platform of the stand, but part of that weight weight rating is the key cable attachment and the strap that goes around that tree. Over time, if, if that tree is growing and stretching that strap out, the amount of weight that tree stand can hold is going to be, at some point, reduced. All right? So you're going to artificially wear out your, you know, shorten the life of that strap to where, again, some point in time, you could have a catastrophic failure by loosening the strap. Oh, and then the other thing, and I've seen this in the Northeast, especially, <coughs> um, there are certain species of trees that grow rapidly and the way their bark is structured, and okay, and without going into a, a, a biology lesson uh, um, or botany lesson on the bark of trees and how trees grow, and the cambium layer, the where the where where stuff is flowing, sap is flowing. There are some trees that literally the 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 constriction of the strap can actually choke off the movement of sap and, and water through that tree to where you can literally kill the top of the tree. And I've actually seen where it actually weakens that tree to where in a windstorm, it literally snaps off right at that constriction point. I've, it's crazy. You, I mean, you, I've got a family member that's in upstate New York that we were walking his property and a new lease that he had and he wanted to show me, he's like, check this out. And somebody had left up their tree stands and it was, it was incredible. 15, 20 feet up in the tree. Here's a tree stand. Here's the strap. The tree is snapped off right there. Right there. You could literally see the tree have a, a actual indentation around where that strap was and then it was trying to grow around and it weakened and snapped right off at that point okay so there's a number of reasons why i've always advocated and so that's what i'm doing now i go through and either remove the stands that can be removed easily or at the very least i just loosen the straps leave them right in place just just let them just hang there to where the tree has plenty of of room to expand and grow depending on what the moisture cycle is 
if the wind is moving or whatever, it can move around. And it's especially the ladder stands that are on the ground and then locked into the tree. You know, all that wind movement, you know, winter storms, you know, fall wind storms, winter wind storms. Okay, it is what it is. That tree is moving around, moving around, moving around. And that ladder is going to be moving and creaking and, and twisting. Okay, that all puts stress on that stand. During the hunting season, during when you're using it, okay, that's an acceptable cost of, of having that stand in place. But there's no reason to put your stand that, I mean, they're they're not cheap. And it's not like, obviously it takes time to put the stinking damn things up, all right? You don't need to put that expensive piece of equipment through all that wear and tear for no reason if you're not using it. So at least go loosen those buckles up, loosen those straps up. You don't have to take it completely down. You don't have to just take the straps off to where the, the thing wants to get blown out of the tree. Leave it loose, but attached to where even if it does get blown off to a side or whatever, it's still there, okay? But you take all the stress off of that stand to where you're not causing the damage. You're not deteriorating your strap as much or putting stress on that strap as much. And it's just going to last longer over time. And it's going to be a lot safer longer over time. Make sense? So that's what, I was, that's what I'm doing right now or what I did these past couple days. Kelly had uh, the past two days off, which was great. So we just were able to go out with the dogs and just walk the river bottoms. You just go from stand to stand to stand to stand to stand and just loosen everything up, pull stuff off, grip, you know. Got a stack of cameras here that I, I finally pulled out of the field, and you know some of them I've repl- I'm going to replace or I have replaced and changed batteries, but these ones I finally pulled. I need to go through the cards and see what's in there. But um, anyway, that's what I did these past couple days. I've got just a handful of more stands that I've got to take care of, uh, and then I'll be done what I call summarizing all of my uh, tree stand assets. Um, <coughs> The other thing I need to do is on some of my food plots. So I, I on a couple of the food plots, I've got, uh, you know, winter, you know, what I call the magic green carpet. You know, well, what I wanted to be the green carpet, winter wheat and other green forages that stay green throughout this, the winter. Most of those are drought stressed and dead right now, just looking pathetic. But I also have some standing corn areas. Well, the raccoons have, and deer have pulled down a bunch of it, but there's still a lot of stock standing and there's a lot of, st- of corn standing. Well, come this summer when it's time to do something with that, um, it's a pain in the butt to try to drag my equipment and my uh, Genesis through standing corn stalks. It just does not work out well. So I need to hook up the ranger. I need to get the mower, the swisher, um, I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna see. I've got the two. I've got the the brush king, which is my workhorse, but it's a little bit narrower. And then I've got that 52 inch country cut swisher uh, mower. I don't that the the 52 inch is hooked up to the ATV right now and ready to go. I think I want to use the brush king so I can lay just just put that thing down three inches above the ground and just right off just low as possible. So I think I'm gonna probably switch things out and then run the the swisher brush king. Um, for that reason, so I can mow it off. But I, but I need. I've got about five acres of standing corn that I want to mow off. Just knock it right to the ground. Number one, it's going to get rid of this. It's going to bust up the stalks. It's going to put the stub of the stalk low enough to where my Genesis can go over it. Depending on what I want to drill into it later on, it's going to make it easier to run the herbicide uh, over top of it this spring. Pre-emer- I'm probably going to have to run a pre-emergent we, um, because of last year and the drought. A 
lot of bare exposed soil allowed a lot of velvet leaf uh, and herbicide resistant amaranth to come in. Again, a lot of what I'm going to start doing with the whitetail stuff, and, and I don't want to segue too far into this right now, but I'm going to put more whitetail related stuff on that Western Plains whitetails account. Uh, I'm going to put it both in the uh, deer module on the website, and I might retool how the website is built as well. But regardless, I'm going to share more information of what I'm doing out here because, man, the number of people that are getting information from people that are generally focused from eastern Midwest to uh, the east is exceptional amount of information, and it's a lot of good information, but it is wholly inadequate and in some cases flat out wrong for what we have to deal with out here and it's gotten to the point now where there's no more dicking around and, and playing around with the idea i i have i love consulting and i and i'm absolutely enjoying going out for some of you that have that have, have gotten a hold of me and i'm working with you know doing some consulting and habitat management on your properties and and giving you some ideas on what you can do and that that stuff is awesome and, and i'll continue to do so but some of you that want to just watch a YouTube video and then go out and do it. That it, especially if you don't own the land and you're leasing the land, or or you want to continue to hunting someone else's land as a as an absentee hunter. You don't live on the land. You don't live anywhere near the land, and so you don't know what happens throughout the year. Sometimes, um, or especially in a, and especially you don't know the the local ecosystem and and how things respond to certain treatments out here and what you can and can't do with food plots. Um, I, I, I've got, I've got to start sharing some information because I'm increasingly being called by people that start wading into it, get themselves in trouble and then go, Oh, what do you think about this? And then I come out and take a look or, or I, I visit with them and it's like, okay, you just created a problem and now the problem that you created innocently enough is going to be massive to try to correct and it's going to cost a lot of money and time to get it under control and quite honestly in some cases it's going to be completely dependent on whether or not we get the moisture to even allow you to do so okay so if we can go into these projects wiser and not create mistakes for ourselves, the better it's going to be. So I'm going to start sharing some more of that information with you. But regardless, um, because of the drought, because we didn't get any moisture last year, we didn't get a lot of canopy closure on a lot of the food plots and a lot of the ag fields that we we normally have, which allowed some undesirable species to come in, which means now we've got a bigger seed seed source on some of my food plot areas to where it's going to be more, uh, I'm going to have to be even more vigilant on what I do to set things up. To, to compound that, herbicide rates are, some people say double, it looks like they're going to be triple what uh, they were in past years, given what's going on with the economy and oil, because herbicide is a uh, petroleum derivative, oil and gas derivative. Okay, it, it's... As the price of oil goes up, so does the price of these herbicides and everything else. And given all sorts of reasons, it seems like herbicide is going to go through the roof uh, this year. So just running herbicide everywhere, 
is not going to be cost effective in many cases. Uh, we can look at running uh, cover crops okay, to suppress weed growth. That's fine when you have moisture that's going to allow that to grow, number one. Number two, and then grow vigorously enough and efficiently enough to actually achieve canopy cover and then stay that way. The problem is, is we have, we, again, we've, I've talked about it. I'm not going to beat a dead horse to, you know, even more to death. Okay. You know that we're in a drought and, and I've talked about the fact that right now there is no long t- change in the long-term forecast to where right now in the first 12 inches, minimum, minimum, the first 12 inches of our soil profile in many cases, bone dry, powder dry. It doesn't matter if I, you know, they say, you know, drill to the moisture. Nope. You can't plant a seed 12 inches deep and have it come up. Okay. So we are at this point, putting seed in the ground is completely pointless. If we don't have any semblance of hope for adequate, sufficient rain to soak the soil profile to where we have connectivity of adequate soil moisture from the soil surface down to where we have piss poor soil moisture down deep. All right. So I don't know what we're going to be able to, to uh, do as far as spring plantings or even early summer plantings to crowd out some of our weed issues. So it's going to be interesting, but at the very least, in these next couple of days before I head to Colorado, while we're, we, so we've got a beautiful, it's going to be beautiful, sunny, warm, not a lot of wind, gorgeous. So I want to get out there and knock out all the habitat stuff that I can do now to, to get ourselves prepped and ready for whatever we can do um, as spring starts to roll in. Maybe, maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, we get out of this this really dry cycle that we're having up here, Northwest Col- or can't Colorado, Northwest Kansas. Southwest Nebraska, Eastern Colorado uh, area. All right. So that's what I've been doing these past couple of days. Um, and then getting ready for turkey season. Um, and so I'm going to hold off on, on a longer discussion. So I, I had some notes on um, food plots versus uh, bait piles. You know, I, you, you've heard me talk about bait piles before. I was going to dive into a little bit more information because there is more. There's old research, newer research regarding bait piles and uh, meso, what, call, what they call mesopredators. So your raccoons, your skunks, your possums, that type of stuff. Okay. The, the, those smaller predators and omnivores. All right. Um, I'm going to hold off on that because there's a, there's enough of a discussion there where I think that can be its own podcast. Uh, but regardless, as I was just saying, normally at this time of year, there's some plots that I have that I will put into like, say oats, you know, I'll drill in some early spring oats and let that green up early, uh, for the turkeys and the deer, they both use it, but really it's, it's really nice to get those oats up and going and really, uh, have some really good vigorous growth. If I don't have winter wheat doing that. Because if for anybody that's followed me on Instagram or, you know, with the podcast or anything else, you know, the last, not just last year, in many cases, that good mature growth, you know, obviously as it's growing and it's small, it's very palatable and the turkeys and the deer love it. 
as it starts getting taller, it's going to get a little bit more fibrous and is, you know, what some people call rank, where it's just not as good forage anymore. No, it's not as good a forage, but it starts providing better cover. And you get to a certain point where it starts providing actually decent nesting cover for turkeys and it provides good bedding cover for fawns and fawning cover. Okay. So that's why I like having some of those cereal grains growing up in the spring, not just for the forage potential. It actually provides good nesting and, and fawning cover. Well, again, I have some a lot of good areas in winter wheat. I'm really hoping that just give me even a couple of rainstorms where it'll just, you know, kind of give it a, a kickstart and really start growing. We'll have those spring greens. We'll have that, that nesting cover in some of those places. However, there are a number of places where we were planning on developing additional acres of habitat. I just don't know. I, I, I don't. I just don't know if we're going to have the ability to start to convert those this year uh, the way we wanted to. And that is going to put us at a disadvantage from a weed management standpoint. And one of the videos that is going to be up on the uh, Western Plains Whitetails is a, a great discussion about smooth brome and converting smooth brome areas, which really do nothing for wildlife, into productive habitat plots. Um, but the but the risks that are associated with that, and one of it is weeds. And, and this particular plot is a perfect example of what happens when you control you you get rid of your brome, but then you can't capitalize on what you want to do afterwards. All right, so. Um, but the reality is, is there's going to be some people that are like, all right, well, you know, if I don't have the spring plot or whatever, you know, and, and again, I've got the outfitters that are around me that, that hunt our fence lines that, that love throwing a gargantuan bait pile. It's just a pile of corn, several hundred pounds of corn and a big pile on our fence line. No. Okay. For turkeys, No especially in, in areas where it's going to be warm and if you have some humidity. It doesn't have to get rained on if you have higher humidity with warmer temperatures. Okay, again, I've talked about it. I'm going to mention it now. I'm, uh, I'll dive into it later. But we have aflatoxin in the corn that we produce. In this region, the corn producers, every somebody is going to have aflatoxin. Everybody has a little bit of it, but most there's aflatoxin in the corn. So when you go to the elevator around us or any elevator, probably even around wherever you live, and you go up and you fill up a, bed, a pickup bed full of, or a dump bed trailer or a, a freaking grain hauler full of corn out of the elevator, just understand they're testing for aflatoxin for cattle. It has to meet a minimum standard of, or a, they have a maximum standard, maximum amount of aflatoxin in corn for cattle feed but the maximum amount allowable for cattle is much higher than the threshold that is detrimental to deer and it is way the freaking hell higher than is detrimental to turkeys so you're putting a freaking corn pile out there to bait in turkeys all the while causing issues with their their physical health their liver function their reproductive function and then if those things continue out and you continue the bait pile later on, aflatoxin effects can actually flat out kill poults. Okay. Let's not even, we don't have to talk about it now, but that's beyond the fact that all you're doing is feeding and supplementally and artificially inflating the raccoon, skunk, possum, 
population in and around where the turkeys are active the most. If you're baiting turkeys into a pile that are being frequented by raccoons, guess where raccoons are going to spend a lot of time? Around the bait pile. Do you really want all those mesopredators in and around that bait pile where they're interacting with turkeys? And then if turkeys are going to be going off and nesting nearby or, or around there, what hope and prayer is there for a turkey nest in the situation where you've already already artificially inflated the survivability and reproductive success of the raccoons to where now a female gives birth to not two or three kits. She gives birth to six and they survive and they're big, fat, and healthy. And they they have so much food that they just wander around and, and on the landscape. Anyway, there's enough research out there. I'm I'm debating on getting uh, an expert, inviting someone to come on who's an expert about this and talk about it because I'm telling you, it just drives me absolutely batshit crazy watching the outfitters around me run these bait piles for for raccoons. That's what it is. That is what it is. Sorry, Freudian slip. Running these bait piles for turkeys knowing damn well. They don't. I don't even know if they give a shit. But me sitting there looking at it knowing damn well that is a freaking aflatoxin freaking cesspool right there. And they're actually causing direct physical, physiological health harm to the adults probably as well as their the poles. And you're just growing raccoons. Yay, good for... How many freaking ra- frickin turkeys are you killing? Not harvest. Not legal harvest. I'm talking about just freaking causing mortality that doesn't need to be happening because of the bait piles. There's ways that you can put... If if that's the only way that you can hunt, if that's how you have to run your operation where you just put a corn pile out there with a ground blind and tell a guy, go out there and sit on a corn pile. You know what? There's better ways that you can do it. You don't have to go out there and call for them, even though that's what you should be doing. In my opinion, if you're an outfitter, if you're talking about outfitting and guiding for turkey hunts... How about you go with them, you call, you set up some decoys, you actually do some work. Anyway, I digress. We'll talk about that as we get a little bit closer to the season because there's some serious problems with running bait piles, especially in this country, for turkeys. All right. Oh, but let me let me just say that. So anyway, I'm so yeah, I'm getting ready for turkey season with whatever I can do. Now, one of the things that I am going to be doing is mowing down some areas and exposing, you know, removing uh, some of the duff layer, that dry, dead crud that is, you know, biomass right now, exposing some of the new green up. If we, yeah, we should get some green up. Um, I'm, I know it's probably going to be limiting, but if I can expose some of those areas and to where, excuse me, it is very visible that that area is greening up, they have easy access to that new growth. Uh, it should be more attractive in that spot for turkeys to to want to come and feed than other places where there's a lot of, of dry, dead stubble that they've got to kind of pick through. Um, so that's one of the things I'm going to be doing. And then just going out, putting cameras up, uh, start to scout on what movement looks like. We had a good hatch, sec- uh, hatch uh, and nest success last year. Uh, surprisingly, given how much CRP we lost, we we lost, um, but 
that doesn't translate into a really good season this year unless you want to shoot Jake's. I mean, we had a good survivorship of last year's recruit, you know, crop, uh, you know, youngsters. But that just means next year, if they survive, it, hopefully a bunch of them survive. Next year is going to be freaking awesome, you know, as far as the number of two-year-old birds we're going to have running around, and we'll have a lot of jakes out here this year. It's going to be interesting to see how many mature birds we have left uh, after this this past year. The the weather's been nice. The food ha- there's been food around. Uh, the issue is just the predators. The, the the predator numbers are just stupidly through the roof. So it's going to be interesting on how many of those mature birds, the, the gobblers, survived uh, since last, this well, at least this past fall when I was able to, to monitor them. Because we had a good, at least on our properties, um, the interior part of our properties anyway, uh, we had some good survivorship of gobblers. I'm going to go in there, and that's the one thing that we do. Um, and I'm going to say this because I'm going to segue real quick. Is This is one of the few years we actually have some openings. If you want to come turkey hunt, get a hold of me. So this is why I'm talking about this. Um, one of the things that I do is I monitor exactly how, try to get a very good solid count on how many mature birds we actually have going into spring. And then I adjust how many hunts I book based off of that. I am not like the, the, the typical guys that you're going to find up here around me where they're just going to book every hunter they can book. Okay. I understand it. The more hunters that they can book, the more money in their pocket. And then they go out there and then they send their guys out on a bait pile or, or a, a, a ground blind or whatever, or maybe they go out with them and call or whatever. And then if they're successful, great. If And this is the problem. A lot of times you get, I don't know why. And this, this is a, a matter of contention. And again, maybe a different discussion at a later date. Turkey populations across the United States in many areas have dropped, especially the eastern part of the United States. And there is a pile of research going on with people trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Kansas used to have, so back in the day, Kansas on the the southern and eastern portion of the state, not the northwest part of the state, southern, eastern part of the state. Well, in, in, in kind of even almost right up very near us used to have a two bird limit. All right. Oh, let me rephrase that. Always had a two bird limit. You could get your Turkey license and then you could get uh, an extra game tag. Okay. And you could shoot two spring toms, but the Northwest part of the state, there wasn't enough birds. So they had it one time. You could shoot one bird in our area. You could go like, 10, 15, or 14, 15 miles that way to the east and you could get into the other zone where you could get a second bird. And that's what I used to do. Me and my, Kurt and, and John and, and some of my other buddies, that's what we'd do. We'd hunt our area, we'd, we'd shoot a bird here and then we'd bail and we'd go shoot a second bird over there. Or we'd go over and hunt some public land over in the two bird area and we'd shoot our two birds there. But this used to be all one bird area. And then for some reason, I think that the population of birds did have an uptick and the state decided to make the statewide, you could get two birds everywhere. All right. So our unit turned into a two bird unit, which was also part of the impetus of why all of a sudden a bunch of outfitters showed up because now it, it was cost effective for them to run turkey hunts up here because you could book one guy that for two birds and caught, charge them an arm and a leg, and people would want to come up and shoot two birds. Well, 
fast forward several years and all of a sudden our population takes a nosedive. Okay. And it did for a while there. It's, it's just been just tanking. Okay. The number of birds across the general landscape. I've talked about in the past where we've got issues with crop rotation changes. We've got herbicide rotational changes. We've got weather changes. All right. And then we've got the pressure of outfitters. I'll own it. Okay. Outfitters are responsible for more turkeys being killed, generally speaking, across the broader landscape than resident hunters and or public land hunters. Okay. Because I'll tell you right now, we're killing more and, and we don't kill very many gobblers per year anyway. I'm very cautious about what we take on our properties. But I know that the hunters we run on our properties are killing. We have a very high success rate. We're sitting literally almost at 100%. Okay. I, I can count probably on one hand over the past eight years of people that didn't get their bird. Um, most of the time, it's because they missed literally, and they were archery hunters and they missed, okay? Or a wounded bird and, and we didn't find it. <coughs> so we have, I, I limit the number of hunters I take and I guide them. I go with them. I'm calling, setting up the decoys. It's an educational type of hunt, okay? So where if you, if you come hunt with me, you're going to come hunt with me. In the morning, we're going to powwow. You're going to probably pile into my truck, you and I are going, or whatever our group, we're going to walk to a spot. We are going to set up. We are going to sit. We're going to call. I'm going to call. You can call if you want to. I don't care. But we're going to go through that, and I'm going to be there. And when you go bang or you go thump, I'm the guy that jumps out, and we grab the bird and bubble a high fives, and I take pictures. And I, okay, it's a, it's an actual guided hunt where it's a high level of success, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. We focus, I focus on, decoys, putting birds in front of decoys, beating the piss out of decoys, and having a hell of a lot of fun watching wildlife interact around those decoys. Okay, That's the whole impetus behind what I do with our turkey hunts. But I'm very cautious about how many hunts uh, hunts I run um, and, and hunters I take because, number one, I want all of our hunters to be successful. But I also don't want to take, and there's some argument about how many birds you should take off of the landscape in the spring, blah, 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 blah. I've always been, I don't want to take any more than 50% of the mature birds that are in a population, mature gobblers that are in a population on a particular roost. Okay. And with real grand turkeys, you'll have roosts, pockets. You'll have one here and then a mile, a half mile or a mile away. You'll have another one, another half mile or a mile or a mile and a half away. There's another one Okay, there's going to be pockets, all right? In this particular pocket, there might be five mature birds and then say 30, 50 hens, whatever, I don't know, okay? If that pocket of birds is on me and all the surrounding land is our land, I know that I have, I'm the only person that's going to be imparting mortality on those mature birds. So I look at those five times and I'll say, okay, we'll take two. All right. Once we take two out of that landscape, we don't go back and hunt that group because I want to leave those mature toms there. And if they can survive to the next year, great. Okay. But here's where the challenge comes in. Some of those pods of, of birds, there might be five gobblers here, 
But where they're roosted on us is a spit throw from the freaking people that are running the bay piles, the outfitters or other neighbors to where I say, okay, we've got five toms here. They live on us. They roost on us. They strut on us. They, they, they're, their general daily cycle is on us. These guys, the neighbors, they can't see the roost. They can't see where the birds fly down. They can't see the strutting in the morning. All they can see is the midday movement of gobblers wandering around the landscape. And so they have no idea there's only five birds there. Well, if they've got three guys sitting in a blind, each of those guys have two licenses each, and that gaggle of five birds walks in and they go, oh, boom, boom, and jump, dump all five of those mature birds, there goes all the mature birds out of that entire pot, that entire flock. Done. Gone. Okay? So when I look at our hunts, I got to sit there and evaluate, okay, what are the freaking people doing? The guys neck over my fence line going to do? How many hunters are they going to run? And then how many birds can we take and, and, and where's the likely activity center? What are they going to, what are those birds likely going to do based on the crop rotation and the habitat parameters are going on? Okay. So I look very carefully at what's going on. So this year, this past year, in the fall, on some of our properties, we had some really good uh, winter flocks uh, of bachelor groups of gobblers. Uh, The question is going to be, now that it's been so dry, again, most of the time, now the hens are going to go back to their traditional nesting areas and they're going to go back to those traditional spots. However, there are hens that seem to be more transitory to where they're going to just go where the best green up is. The question is going to be, how many of our birds actually come back into those traditional spots? Now, I know, based on the food plots that we, we've put in the ground, I know we've got the, the, the good forage on us and around us. So I know we're going to have birds. The question is, is how many birds are going to come and go on and off of our neighbors and how many birds are the neighbors going to kill? I don't know, but as we move forward in these next couple of weeks, as things start to warm up, the birds are going to be a little bit more active. They're going to start showing up in the, in the, the gobblers are going to start showing up more with the hens. And they're going to start showing up more in the fields to where I'm going to get a better look at it. But, but how I run my operation is if you've come hunt with, hunted with, if you've hunted with us before and you're a, especially a repeat client, our repeat clients get priority. Because if I've hunted with you and you're a good hunter and we've had a good time and you've had a good time and you want to come back, hell yeah, I'd rather you just come back because that has there's like no, I don't have to go out and solicit hunts, okay? It's fun to develop those relationships over years. So that's normally how I book like 80 to 90% of our hunts. Every, every year I'll take some new, you know, a new hunter or a group of hunters or two. You know, there, there's a couple opportunities in there. This year, or there can be. This year is is one of those years where a couple of our long term hunter or a long term relationship, the people that come back year after year, have some family stuff going on to where they can't make it this year, to where we've got some openings. So I'm just going to let you know that right now. If you want to come out and you want to do it, uh, you want to get a real grand turkey, okay? Whether you're working on your your slams or you know you're you're wanting to collect your species or whatever. Or if you just want to learn to turkey hunt, how to turkey hunt, be or maybe you do turkey hunt, you're just not as as successful as you want to be, and so you want to learn how to be more successful. That's literally what the whole hunt is about. It's three days, 
Okay, go to the website, go to rowhuntingresources.com. When you type that in, rowhuntingresources.com, you're going to be given three different choices. You've got educational materials, you've got guided hunts, and you've got consulting. All right, click on the big thing there with a big plus right in the middle, click on guided hunts. That's going to bring up a page that says, do you want deer? Do you want turkeys? Click on turkeys. And there you're going to find every ounce of information that you could ever want to know about my operation. There is zero hidden anything in there. Literally. Most of the time when you go to an outfitter and you go and you're like, yeah, I want to look up their guided hunts. There's a lot of times you're going to go to that outfitter and it's going to, you're going to get this, this sales pitch. There's no relevant information on days, costs, how it's going to be run, nothing. Oh, contact us for more information. So you've got to give them all your information. Then they get back with you and then they just wheel and deal. No, 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 no. I don't do it that way. If you want to know how much it costs, hell, I'll tell you, it's $750 for a bird. It's an additional $500 for a second bird if we allow it. And that's one of the things that we do that most of the other guys around us don't do. I do limit most of our people to one bird simply because we don't have the number of birds like we used to do, like we used to have. So we do. Normal years, I limit our guys and gals to one bird each so that way there's enough birds for more people to have an enjoyable hunt, especially for kids and new hunters like ladies or whatever that are just getting into the sport because I do kind of enjoy that and I kind of specialize in taking kids and first-time hunters, okay? I want them to have an opportunity at a bird, and so a lot of times we'll limit to one bird. If we don't book as many people or if we seem to have more birds on the landscape, as you are here during your hunt, as we evaluate the birds we are working and that are on the properties, and I can look at what hunters I come that are coming in maybe after your hunt, I will say, hey, if you do want a second bird, you're welcome to upgrade and you can just go literally down to the grocery store down here and just boom, buy your second tag and bam, here we go, okay? So it's easy, but I don't hide anything on our website, okay? And, and I want you to know that. So you can find out how much it costs. You can find out how much, how many dates, three days, how we're going to set up, how we're going to run everything, the whole nine yards. You go where you can stay, what you can do for food and lodging, whether it's with us, whether it's somewhere else or what it doesn't. All that information is right there. So you don't, excuse me, you don't have to contact me at all. You can go down through and look and you go, that sounds awesome. And then you go, Chris, yeah, let's do this. And I'm like, right on, come on out, all right? <coughs> or you may go down through it and you're like, nah, I don't, and no, that, okay, fine. Then I don't need you, I don't need your email to put you on some email list so I can just hound you for the next freaking rest of your life. You, you want to come turkey hunt? You want to come turkey hunt? You want to, you, you want to come do, do your hunt? You want to come? No. All right. So you can find out all the information. More importantly, there's also the facts section. So if you go to the bottom of that, there's frequently asked questions. Okay. Fact, frequently asked questions. There's all sorts of information in there as well, how we run it. Like for instance, our archery hunts, they're headshot only. They're headshot only. And I'm going to, I, I've talked about it in the past. I can talk about it in the future, but there's a little spiel there of why for now, for, 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 from now on headshots only on turkeys with archery equipment. Okay. The wounding loss 
It's not, it's not worth the risk. Okay. I love archery hunts. I want people to come out and archery hunt. It is a blast. You're just taking headshots. So adjust accordingly, practice accordingly, get your equipment adjusted accordingly. All right. So there's nothing in there that's hidden. All right. I want you to know that. But the, the point is, is this year, we actually have a couple openings that, uh, yeah. So anybody that, that been thinking about it, that's wanted to try it, send me an email, get a hold of me. You can either do it through the website, you can do it through social media. Again, I know some of you are still on Facebook. I know some of you are still messaging me on Facebook. Just don't understand. Like I've said before, I don't spend as much time on Facebook. So you're better off sending me a message through Instagram if you want to get a hold of me or just go through the website, either contact at, and that's probably the best one for your contact, C-O-N-T-A-C-T, contact at rowhuntingresources.com, R-O-E huntingresources.com. Send me an email. We'll get something lined up. All right. So, uh, yeah. So April 1st through, what is it? The 4th is the, well, April 1st through like the, the 12th, I think is, I'm going off the top of my head, is, is youth that can use shotgun or bow or crossbow. Okay. Adult archery season starts, I think, on the 4th of April and then goes through end of May, uh, May 31st. And then shotgun season starts, I believe, the 13th this year. Thir- I believe it's the 13th this year. 13th of April and then goes again until May 31st. Now, in the past, I will say this. This is the other thing that, that is going to be that's interesting and, and that, it, that increases an opportunity for some people that want to come. In the past, our our um, turkey season was actually better early in the month of April. Well, these past couple of years, we've kind of seen it being very difficult in the early part of April. Yeah, to the point where when I used to hunt turkeys for myself before I was actually managing these ground, you know, managing and, and running hunts, um, I would we would start in Nebraska March twenty fifth. And then we would immediately roll to Kansas April 1st, because back then archery and youth started in the same day, April 1st. We would immediately roll to Kansas on April 1st because April 1st through the 3rd or 4th or 5th was just, it was, it was epic, epic of turkeys just coming in and absolutely destroying decoy sets, okay? Well, over the years, it seems as though a lot of that aggressive behavior actually has been happening in March. And then it almost seems like there's a lull in the behavior in that first part of April. And then it starts to pick up in, in activity again later on in April. And now we're seeing a lot of activity. I think this has to do with nest predation and the, the predators that are just raping and pillaging our nests, our turkey nests. We're actually seeing <clears throat> um, some good activity later in May. So what I'm doing now is I'm staggering our hunts and broadening them out to where I'm not putting as much pressure on individual groups of birds back to back to back to back. We're giving them refuge and sanctuary and and kind of some downtime in between our hunts. And so oftentimes, so there's opportunities all the way through May and they're actually pretty darn good. Um, These past couple of years, I've actually killed either clients' birds or my birds literally the last three days of May, which is incredible. All right. So there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of flexibility in, in timing. 
which for those people that want to, you know, if you want to bring, if you want to get your kids involved in turkey hunting and, 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 you know, take them on a hunt, it gives you some better flexibility. You don't have to feel like you have to be in the youth season. Last year's youth season was the toughest part of the season that we had. After the youth season was over, it actually got better. So you don't have to feel pressured to get in there first. All right. A, we don't manage our properties like that. And B, from a behavioral cycle, it seems like it's getting better as the as the month and the season goes on. All right. So there's some flexibility there. And it also is nice for those people that are that, you know, depending on what your work schedule is and and extracurricular activities with your family, there's some flexibility. So just FYI, um, there's some opportunities there this year, which I don't normally have this this kind of flexibility. So for those who want to take advantage of it, take advantage of it while you can. All righty. <clears throat> Dang it. I'm not going to do it. We're, I'm looking at the time. I could double this time. We've gone over an hour and a half right now easily. I don't know how many, how many, yeah, no, I, I, we're about an hour and, well, hell, an hour and 50 minutes right now. I bet you I could spend an hour and 50 minutes on this next, these next two topics. Rather than do a three hour episode, how let's just split this up. Okay. I'm going to kill this one. We've jaw jacked enough. I, you can listen to this. I want to I don't want, I don't want to feel, okay, this is why I'm going to split. I don't want to feel rushed. Okay. I don't want to feel rushed on the, this, this next bit because I, I want to give it a good, I want to give it a fair shake and I want to dive into it as long as, as the topic on, as long as the topic reveals itself and it unveils itself as we, as we discuss it. I don't want to feel rushed. So how about we do this? I'm going to kill this one. And then and then maybe tomorrow, maybe we just won't do one podcast this week. Maybe what I'll do is tomorrow I'll, I'll, or so I've got that I've got another pot that you know what I'm I think we'll do. I I think what I'll do is tomorrow maybe I will record part two of this. I mean, it won't be a part two. It'll just be another podcast. I'm not going to make it a part one, part two. This is a it's standalone podcast. And then tomorrow I'll record what I was going to talk about in the second half. But it's going to be, again, it's going to be regarding sportsman advocacy in, in, in a part of it. And it's also going to be related to wildlife professional advocacy conduct and support um and by what i'm and i'm talking about wildlife biologists professional wildlife managers um stepping up to be a constructive member of the conversation um rather than either neutral or in some cases in in some of these cases uh adversarial so that's what we're going to do i'm going to kill this for now I'm going to do a second podcast, so we'll have a double podcast, at least a double podcast, this week, and then 
hopefully Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll have that interview with this. That one's going to be fun, man. I've got an interview coming up with, uh, a representative of a very large sportsman's advocacy organization. And we are going to have a brutally honest discussion about effective sportsman advocacy, the reality of sportsmen and consumptive wildlife politics in the face of animal activists. And um, there are going to be some people that are going to be butthurt over the discussion uh, because I don't, I do not think we are going to name names, but I think the discussion is going to be real and raw enough that anybody who's been paying attention is going to know where the shoe fits. And I'm just leaving it at that. Um, and it's not because I or the guest wants to tear down people, uh, destroy motivation, uh, discourage advocacy. But we both have been concerned by what we've been seeing lately. Um, if, if, if nothing else concerned by the lack of effectiveness that it truly is having in many regards and really what it's going to, the ineffectiveness it's going to have later on. Uh, if we don't start having real conversations about what true effective advocacy, sportsman advocacy looks like. And much of what we're seeing today is not it. It is educational. I hope people will listen to it and view it as constructive and take it that way. Constructive on how to do better. Um, it's going to, it's, it's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, I hope I hope my guest has the ability to and is, and is 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 still committed to having the type of conversation that we talked about uh the other day because he's kind of in in a different is in a difficult position. He is a member of a very large organization and it, it he doesn't want it to come out like his organization is is trying to stomp on what everybody else is doing from a competitive standpoint. Like we're better than you. No. This is strictly going to be a conversation that is geared towards education and making us all better as as consumptive use advocates. Um, as we move forward in this environment where the animal activists are just going gangbusters. Okay. So that's coming up, and I'm going to try to get that. I'm, I'm hoping that interview comes up on probably Tuesday or Wednesday, which that one that ep, that episode will be for next Monday. I'm hoping. So tomorrow I will record what I wanted to talk about tonight in this second half, because this part is actually going to bridge that. Is is going to basically lead. It's going to it's going to be a good. Um, not intro, 
it's going to set it up. It's going to set that discussion up very, very nicely. The, the interview up very nicely. But I want to give it its, its due um, attention. So that's what we're going to do. I will kill this now. Put some more notes together for this half, this other part for tomorrow. And I'll record that other part tomorrow. And maybe we'll have two podcasts for this particular week, uh, which is going to be the end of February and the first week of March, 2022. All right. So thank you. Appreciate you listening. And I know that kind of changed last minute. And some of you are like, what the frickin' Hey, it is what it is. All right. Let me kill it. Thanks for listening. And for those of you that are watching, thank you for watching. As always, if you're not following me on Instagram or the socials, just again, it's always Row Hunting Resources, R-O-E, Hunting Resources, wherever you want to find me. Yes, I'm on, I, there is a Facebook account. Again, I don't spend a lot of time there. I spend most of my time on Instagram, okay? So if you can find me there, you want to message me there, you want to converse over there, awesome, do it. Um, yes, I have a YouTube channel. It's Row Hunting Resources. And then the, the new Rumble accounts are Row Hunting Resources, Western Plains Whitetails, Row Hunting Resources Podcast, and Elk Hunting... Elk? I didn't put the. It's just Elk Hunting Institute. Um, so that's where you can start finding stuff on Rumble. All righty. Thanks much. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate everyone uh, for following along, listening along. And um, yes, I'm still trying to... Okay, so sorry. One last thing. Yes, I'm still trying to figure out how to get some stuff on Spotify. I just didn't... I didn't spend any time with it on this this week. Uh, the, the platforms that I am currently using do not automatically have sharing ability to Spotify. Um, I'm not on Podbean. Um, am I on Podbean? I'm on SoundCloud, Stitcher. So right now it's SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple uh, Podcasts is where you can find me. If I get a Podbean, I think I have to pay for Podbean in order to, to host some stuff. Then Podbean will 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 share to Spotify and, and can post. I'm I'm seeing if there's a, a platform that will do it for free. I'm, yeah, I'm being cheap because again, I'm not making money off these. I'm not making money off these podcasts unless you want to advertise to get a hold of me. But right now, I'm not. It's 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 all subscriber driven. It's it's all from row hunting resources subscribers you guys are the one guys and gals that subscribe to the website you guys are making this this happen so awesome which i i greatly appreciate but me spending money to put it on different platforms i know the advantage yes from a business standpoint blah 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 blah. yeah well i'm spending enough money on other places as well but um anyway i am exploring trying to get it on spotify since so many people have been asking about it I may just have to, but you know, suck it up and put it on Podbean or something like that, or unless somebody has a recommendation on it, or either that, or, or I just need to get figure out the RSS feed and, and then just physically put it on Spotify. I don't. know. If you're a Spotify master, get a hold of me and we can message you or whatever. But a lot of you have been asking for Spotify, so yes, I will acquiesce. I'll try to put it on Spotify so you can find it there as well. All right, enough. Until the next podcast, thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon.